Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, Kenyans head to polling stations as opposition leader calls for boycott and UN chief begins his visit to the Central African Republic. In economics news, ECOWAS leaders pledge to fast-track common currency program. And in sports news, Spain beat Mali to reach a FIFA Under-17 World Cup final. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Polls have opened in a repeat presidential election in Kenya that's merged in uncertainty as opposition leader Raila Odinga has called on his supporters to boycott the vote. Security have also been tightened. Tens of thousands of security personnel have been deployed to various areas of the country. President Uri Kenyatta has urged people to turn out in their numbers. Our forefathers fought and died for the right of the African to vote. We dare not reject the inheritance our elders so painfully won. Instead, it is my firm belief that it is our duty to protect and exercise this right, but also remain mindful of its price. Meanwhile, opposition leader Raila Odinga at a rally in Nairobi warned against any violence. You advise Kenyans who value democracy and justice to hold vigilant prayers away from polling stations or just stay at home. We are aware that the bloodthirsty regime is planning to use every excuse to massacre our people. A military court in Ouagadougou has begun an indictment hearing for 107 people, including two generals who face charges over the failed 2015 coup in Burkina Faso. Lead figures are General Gibril Basule and Gilbert Diandere, key allies to former President Blaise Kampure, whose bid to return to power was thwarted when protesters in the army attacked the barracks of lead troops loyal to him. Former transitional president Michel Kafundo was briefly overthrown in the coup led by the presidential security regiment, but resumed power within days when plot leaders admitted they lacked popular support. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley has cut short a visit to a camp for displaced people in South Sudan as anti-government demonstrators gathered. Witnesses say after Haley left, the protesters became violent and U.N. security guards fired tear gas to disperse them. The protesters are reported to be unhappy that she did not meet with them. 
And finally, West African leaders have called on Togolese government and the opposition to sit down for talks as violence increases in the West African country. At least 16 people have been killed and scores more injured in anti-government protests that have seen hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets across the country. More marches have been planned for next month. A coalition of 14 opposition parties wants Fongya Singbe to step down and a limit of two five-year terms introduced for presidents. They also want a two round election process rather than the current one. Nyasingbe's won three elections since taking power in 2005 after the death of his father, who ruled Togo for nearly 50 years. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. The much-anticipated Alliance Political Council in South Africa kicks off in Johannesburg this morning. The two-day meeting of the national officials of the ANC, COSATU, SACP and SANCOR seeks to address the many challenges facing the tripartite alliance. For the first time since their calls for him to step down, President Jacob Zuma will come face-to-face with the leaders of COSATU and the SACP. Our political correspondent in Debomogobo has more. The Alliance Political Council comes at a time when relations in the ANC-led alliance are at an all-time low. Meeting across the table will be the top six officials of the alliance partners, the ANC, COSATO, the SACP and SANCO. The ANC will be led into this meeting by President Jacob Zuma, while the SACP will be led by its General Secretary Dr. Bladen Zimande. ANC Deputy Secretary General Jesse Duarte says the meeting is long overdue. We've got confirmation that everybody is going to attend. President Zuma will also be there. We are likely to start the meeting at 10 in the morning. We can't tell you when it will finish. What we we want to do is to talk until we've talked all the things we have on our hearts from all sides. All the alliance partners have been asked to send issues they wish to raise to the SG of the ANC. It would have been yesterday, but the meeting definitely is going ahead, and I think it's uh, Sanko, the ANC, COSATU, and the SACP. The Alliance Political Council established in 2008 is a platform aimed at discussing some of the pertinent issues and challenges facing the Alliance and the nation in general. Its formation came at a time when there was unhappiness by COSATU and the SACP at what they saw as lack of consultation by the ANC. Duarte says the meeting will not be a blame game but a gathering to seek solutions to their problems. Throughout the years there has been something called a political council which sits and discusses matters pertaining to the health of the alliance, pertaining to the country, issues that face the country. So there is no real dark, deep secret that is uh, something you're looking for and fishing for. The SACP Solima Paila says the removal of their general secretary from cabinet will be high on their priority list. The removal of Comrade Blade does create serious difficulties for our proper relations uh, with the ANC and of course uh, has wider complications for the uh, unity of the alliance because Comrade Blade is the leader of the Communist Party and therefore the manner in which the president did this we could see it was a point of humiliation rather than uh, political differences. It was essentially it should not differ with us to stop corruption, to stop those who are capturing state institutions using it for their selfish ends including his own family. Kosato President Dumotlamene on the other hand says they will push for unity of the alliance partners as they go into this meeting. 
We should be able to say, coming out of the meeting, that uh, it is possible to have more meetings of the political council and the alliance meetings, including a particular program that can come out. We hope that we shall be able to prioritize the unity of the African National Congress, but also the unit of the alliance as a whole, led by the ANC, as we are going to the ANC's 54th National Conference, that that conference itself will be able to be a unifying conference of our movement going forward. Meanwhile, political analyst Professor Stephen Friedman is doubtful the much wanted meeting will yield any results. What you'll probably have during the meeting is people taking positions, but no real change in the situation, because I don't think the president's decision is going to be reversed. I don't think the SACP will lose the alliance. So uh, I think it may well be simply a meeting in which people express themselves rather than a meeting in which anything changes. He says some of the demands put forward by the alliance partners to the ANC, especially a call for President Zuma to step down, and that he should reverse his earlier decision to fire Dr. Nzimande's Minister of Higher Education and Training will be difficult to meet. Friedman says relations in the alliance could only be improved if all components of the alliance allow a space for engagement. You can't have an effective alliance when the mechanisms within the ANC and within the alliance for people to talk to each other have broken down, and that's the reality. So the president reshuffles his cabinet, and half his top six says they were not consulted. That obviously creates problems. The other side now feels that it's more important to them to heckle the president at meetings rather than to engage. Unless the ANC is able to create a situation in which the competing sides can actually talk to each other rather than shout at each other, then the situation is going to continue. The Alliance Political Council has been postponed a number of times due to disagreement on the agenda. The last such a meeting was in October last year, where partners discussed the ANC's poor performance in the 2016 local government elections. Resolution said that meeting included urging members of different formations to exercise high levels of discipline, be exemplary in their conduct and respect the outcomes of alliance processes. I am Tebu Mokobe in Johannesburg. Do not participate in any way the sham election. Convince your friends not to participate. Instead, we advise Kenyans who value democracy and justice to hold vigilant prayers away from polling stations or just stay at home. We shall mobilize all progressive forces in the country to ensure that a fresh, free and fair presidential election is organized within 90 days. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. 
Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hours show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. are going to the polls in an election rerun which has been boycotted by opposition leader Rayla Odinga and his supporters. The Supreme Court annulled August presidential election saying there had been irregularities and ordered fresh polls within 60 days. Now on Wednesday which is yesterday the same court was unable to rule on a case to delay the polls after a no-show by some of the judges. President Kenyatta made a strong case for the vote, saying for the economy um, that it's time to end the long electoral period. But Odinga says the polls will not be credible. For more on this, we are now joined on the line from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, by our reporter, James Shemangula. James, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Is voting underway where you are? Voting is taking place as we speak, but the extent to which lines have been formed tells it all, meaning not bigger lines that we witnessed during August the 8th election are now being witnessed. So you can just imagine that um, not voters from all ethnic groups, if I can use that word, are taking part in it. Uh, the sound you have just played to our listeners features Odinga telling voters not to go to polling stations. And indeed, as he has been doing in the past, making orders and people that support him, staunch ones, of course, and those that uh, believe that um, there is no credibility in the election, don't even show up. So, 
James, will this be an indication as to, um, you know, the, as to the, the power that Odinga holds as for the clarion call for voters not to go out in their numbers? Um, there's also ethnicity issues there um, that may come into play. What is this going to say with regards to um, free and fair elections going forward? One thing we have to bear in mind is that... Um as you said rightly, Odinga commands loyalty of more than 6 million or 70 million people. This means that um, the remaining um, 9 or 10 that voted for President Uhuru Kenyatta go to his side. We have here now what I can characterize right now as a steep division tribally, which means there are two ethnic groups right now that strongly support President Kenyatta, those that come from the Great Rift Valley west of Nairobi and central Kenya, where the president was born. Rift Valley is actually the stronghold of Deputy President William Ruto. So in the long run, or in the days to come, there will be this notion of Kenyans saying, I belong to this and that tribe. I don't need to care about what is happening on the other side. And that has to be put on level, because if it continues, then in the years to come, uh, there, there, there is not going to be credibility in any election that will, will be held. But I can see, even if there is no big um, turnout, I can see possibly Kenyatta garnering your Senate in... Um, Uganda, you've seen it in uh, Burundi, you've seen it um, in um, uh, countries where people seem to be driven by the fact that the man ruling is the only man ruling and is the only man that has to get the plate with the full meal, 99%, 98%. But anyway, given the voting, or rather the vote apathy, People not turning out, everybody not turning out. We may end up getting a dramatic kind of uh, results, but still, Kenyatta is in the lead despite the fact that uh, he has six other challengers, but those are just minorities if I, I were to characterize them that way. Now, James. For only one, say for only one who comes from the smallest tribe in Kenya, uh, our court who actually succeeded in making uh, his way to the repeat election after he had been bad. Now, James, let's speak about the preparedness of the Electoral Commission. Are they ready this time around? Can you repeat that? I think The preparedness of the IEBC, the Electoral Commission, are they ready is everything out where it's supposed to be in terms of the different constituencies, in terms of the different polling stations? Is all the documentation out there? And 
did they open in time, polling stations and everything that goes with it with the officials? Fantastic. The Electoral Commission did a superb work as far as the preparations and the opening time um, is concerned. But uh, late into the night, as we wake up now, there are reports that um, some places in Odinga's uh, strongholds from where he was born uh, still have barricaded uh, roads and uh, whether ballot papers have reached there, we are yet to know in uh, the midday show when you cross over to me because uh, communication appears to be uh, to have gone down so we cannot get uh, uh, concrete reports from those areas but preparedness that is a hundred percent well done now james let's speak about uh, the election observers uh, which also includes um, former south africa's president tabo mbeki what's their take on the election that's taking place considering the fact that they had um uh, uh, given the go-ahead with regards to um the election in august calling it free and fair this time around what are they saying on the ground Election observers have been um, uh, going to different places. They are yet to make their decision. Of course, it's too early. But speaking of uh, former South African President um, Becky, in fact, you can uh, tell our listeners, or I'm telling our listeners, that in the midday show, Becky is going to speak for nearly three minutes or so uh, he spoke at a press conference. We could not have accommodated him because of the time factor. And uh, our listeners will hear what Mbeki is saying about the African Union, the observers, some observers that just came and um, identified themselves as the African Union. They are not, etc., etc. So expect Mbeki's voice to dominate the midday show uh, in the next few hours. James, what are the Kenyan people on the ground saying? Are they looking forward to casting their ballot? Um, you know, what's the reaction on the ground? Actually, people, as we said at the outset, remotely people seem to be divided in the sense that uh, you cannot expect two ethnic groups to dominate the voting when uh, nearly 40 or 38 others, or let's say 40 others, are not participating in the exercise, although a few people from those ethnic groups may be taking part. But overall, let us just assume that Kenyans are voting from all corners of the country, but there is voting apathy from the people Odoinga ordered not to show up at the polling stations. James, very quickly, with regards to um, the voting process and the results coming out, when should we expect results, final results of uh, the, the presidential rerun? That's a very good question.
it's good you thought about that before we end. Last time, results were rushed, and the, there were a lot of complaints from uh, the opposition. This time round, the Electoral Commission is very careful. It has to make sure that, uh, as you said, I borrow the word you used, there are no irregularities which featured prominently during the hearing of the petition that nullified Kenyatta's re-election on August the 8th. So we shall have a delay in announcing the results, although it's um, easy because not many people may have voted. I'm sorry to say that, but that's what we are saying. Uh, they may be faster. So we are speaking of uh, uh, possibly before Monday. James, it is a developing story. Hashtag Kenya decides as it has been trending. We will be getting regular updates from you and the team that's out there in Kenya. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful. That was our reporter in Kenya, James Shimangula, joining us on the line from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. Lawyers representing all parties in the so-called state capture review case have until next week, Tuesday, to make supplementary submissions to the Pretoria High Court. This is after the main applicant in the case, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma, withdrew part of the relief he sought from the court. President Zuma approached the court in a bid to seek clarity on whether the public protector can instruct him to execute executive powers. Former public protector Tulima Donsela in her state of capture report, recommended that the president establish a commission of inquiry to further investigate allegations involving his friends, the Gupta family and senior government officials. Amos Pajo has more. In truth, there is nothing unusual about the remedial action the president challenges in this application. The public protector regularly instructs members of the executive, including high-ranking government officials, to exercise discretionary powers assigned by law to them. If one looks at the 20 reports released in 2016-2017 and 2017-2018, the majority of them include remedial action that instructs an executive organ of state to either exercise an executive power and or conduct an investigation. He does not want the Chief Justice to do it. If he's acting in the public interest, he wouldn't uh, resist the, the involvement of the Chief Justice. No, 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 no sane person uh, can do that. We submit that on the facts of this case, and given various constitutional provisions, the conflict must be resolved by this court in favour of the public protector. And that is so because there are numerous obligations on the president in order to deal with the issues that have been raised by the public protector. It was yet another round of heated arguments as lawyers representing respondents in the case tried to convince the court that President Zuma's application is nothing but a delaying tactic and an attempt to preserve his powers. However, President Zuma made a U-turn, withdrawing almost half of the review application. Part of the relief sought by the president was that the report lacked factual findings and should be sent back to the public protector for a fresh investigation. However, the DA's federal executive chairperson, James Self, expressed disappointment at the president's latest move. The president at the very last minute to abandon half of his review application 
which reminds us entirely of what happened in the Nkandla case, where exactly the same tactics were used. When the president ran out of legal arguments, uh, he withdrew at the last minute. All parties in the case, including President Zuma, now have been asked to make submissions on what they regard as the impact of the president no longer seeking further investigation by the public protector. Judgment in the case has been reserved, but Judge Dustin Mlambo intends to rule on the case by the 17th of December. I'm Amos Power in Pretoria. One day to go. To the 100th birthday of the late Reginald Oliver Tambo. Hashtag Oliver Tambo 100. In 1981, at a women's conference in the Angolan capital of Luanda, Oliver Reginald Tambo, as an advocate for gender equality, said, The mobilization of the people into active resistance and struggle for liberation demands the energies of women no less than of men as confirmation of the resolve of the South African National Liberation Movement. Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet. The 1700-hour show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hour Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines polls have opened in a repeat presidential election in Kenya that is murdered in uncertainty as opposition leader Raila Dinga has called on his supporters to boycott the vote. A military court in Ouagadougou has began an indictment hearing for 107 people, including two generals who face charges over the failed 2015 coup in Burkina Faso. And the international community has been urged by the UN Secretary-General to show solidarity with the Central African Republic in order to rebuild the country and reduce the suffering of its people. Those are the stories making headlines.
The UN's independent expert on freedom of expression has criticized the United Nations and other international organizations for failing to adopt robust policies on access to information. David Kay, who is a special rapporteur appointed by the Human Rights Council in Geneva, has submitted a report to a committee of the General Assembly detailing how the UN and other multilateral organizations could be more transparent about how they function and how decisions are actually made. He also warned about the long-term detrimental impact the United States President Donald Trump's war on the media will have on freedom of the press in that country. Sean Bryce-Bees reports. David Kay is sounding the alarm bells that the UN, a central global political institution that serves the public interest across a range of subject matters, is falling even behind governments already embracing greater access to information. There is no such right within international organizations or the UN system as a whole. Um, Several organizations have adopted access to information policies over the last several years. They're mostly in the international financial institutions, the IFIs, uh, UNDP, UNEP, and a few others. Um, But generally speaking, uh, there is no system-wide access to information policy in the UN. So if you think about the number of, uh, of scandals uh, or other um, gaps in knowledge about the UN system, for example, over the last several years, um, one, one problem is a lack of ability to get information out of the system. Several countries like South Africa and the United States already have existing public access to information laws that can force governments or private institutions to release information in the public interest. Kay also raised concerns around increased disinformation or fake news. We really urged first governments and political leaders to stop circulating false information, but at the same time in addressing the problems of disinformation uh, to really keep in mind uh, the uh, freedom of expression issues. Because, of course, the right to freedom of expression doesn't distinguish between truth and false Right. It's it's a right to share, to receive, to impart information and ideas of all kinds. So in dealing with this problem, it can't be one that uh, involves over censorship or over regulation. And on President Trump's at times hostile relationship with the press in the United States. It's an interesting dynamic, right, because on the one hand, um, he is very clearly identifying the, the media as the enemy of the people. And, I mean, you can go through the tweets. They're, they're awful. Um, interestingly, I think the, um, the, the legacy press and a lot of digital media has stepped up to the challenge. And so, to a certain extent, um, investigative journalism in the United States is as healthy as it's, as it's been in years. So there is this, you know, this weird kind of silver lining. On the other hand... I think if you look across the range at what, what this administration is doing, whether it's um, sort of changing the culture of how we think about the media and how we think about information, it's, it has a, a, a long-term negative impact on respect for the media. In a world where greater scrutiny is increasingly seen as an obstacle rather than a tool to enhance democracies and multilateral institutions globally. I'm Sherman Bryce-Bees in New York.
The Secretary-General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, has begun his four-day visit to the Central African Republic, where sectarian violence has spread in recent months. This is Guterres' first visit to any UN peacekeeping mission since he took office in January this year. Guterres' trip to the Central African Republic comes at a delicate time for the United Nations as the world body comes under pressure from the United States President Donald Trump to cut spending, including on some peacekeeping missions. Known as MINUSCA, the United Nations mission's mandate in the Central African Republic, which expires next month, is due to be renewed, and Guterres is looking for reinforcements. Channel Africa's reporter, Kumbere Mujelele, reports. During his visit, the United Nations chief will hold talks with political leaders in the capital, Bangui, and visit the southeastern town of Bangaso, one of the region's hardest hit by violence. He is also expected to meet victims of sexual abuse by UN peacekeepers, part of an effort to address damaging allegations that have hit the Blue Helmets in several missions. In the run-up to Guterres' visit, Christian and Muslim leaders have urged the United Nations to overhaul its peacekeeping strategy, which some have criticized as being too passive. The United Nations has 12,500 troops and police on the ground in Central African Republic to help protect civilians and support the government of Faustin Achange Todera. Known as MINUSCA, the United Nations mission's mandate in the Central African Republic is due to be renewed and Guterres is looking for reinforcements. Central African Republic is one of the world's poorest nations and has been struggling to recover from a three-year conflict between the Muslim and Christian militias which started after the overthrow of former President Francois Bozize in 2013. Since May this year, renewed clashes in the southeast have pitted armed groups against each other as they compete for control of minerals and areas of influence while claiming to protect communities. Guterres' stay is his first visit to the Central African Republic since taking office earlier this year. In his latest report to the Security Council, Guterres requested reinforcements of 900 troops in Central African Republic, but whether this will have a decisive impact on the ground is unclear. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Mujerere in Johannesburg. Opposition parties have given a thumbs down to Finance Minister Malusi Gigamba's first budget statement. They have criticized especially the money to be spent on bailing out state-owned enterprises. They have also expressed concern at the 50 billion rand budget deficit. Joseph Masia reports. Minister Gigaba's mid-term budget policy statement comes amid a serious economic crisis with GDP growth of less than 1%. Opposition parties say the budget is a reflection of the problems brought about by such things as state capture, corruption and the continuous bailing out of dysfunctional SOEs. DA Finance spokesperson David Mania. What we saw during the medium-term budget policy statement was a full-scale blowout of the budget. With the budget deficit this year increasing by 54 billion rand to over 200 billion rand at 4.3% of GDP, which of course means in the medium term national debt and debt service costs are going to skyrocket. Freedom Front Plus's Peter Hrneval says the budget statement has failed to reassure investors and that it is likely the country could face more ratings downgrade. The minister hasn't said anything new. Uh, in fact, he identified the problem that we have a huge problem when it comes to economies, uh, to get the uh, economy to grow, 
he himself uh, lowered its prediction to 0.7% cent for this year and uh, only 1.9% for 2021. So he also said nothing new to create confidence from potential investors. Co-president Musiwa Likota says it is time that government let go of those state-owned entities that cannot sustain themselves. The only reason you sustain a public entity, state-owned enterprise is if it is yielding a profit. Because that is the prime purpose. You took public funds and invested money in it. He must close this public, this public uh, 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 owner-owned entities, which are not yielding that thing. At this stage, South Africa cannot afford them. They must be closed, really. And, and try and sustain the ones that are sustainable. Ntlantla Kubisa of the National Freedom Party, on the other hand, feels the minister did not address the main issues affecting poor people. Unemployment has grown to 27% and uh, within this financial year. And the minister should have given the tangibles on how to deal with unemployment. The issue of state capture corruption are, are the main issues that are grinding into the marrow of our economy. The minister should have given the really tangibles with regard to that one. The ANC says it is difficult to be distributive in these tough economic times. Chairperson of the Standing Committee on Finance, Yunus Karim, says, however, they are glad that he stuck to spending to support the poor. We welcome the focus on retaining social spending on the 948 billion run allocated to infrastructure development and the increase in funding for higher education from 77 to 97 billion over the next three years. However, we are concerned, obviously, as I'm sure the minister is and government is, about the ballooning budget deficit and that 15% of our budget in the outer year, three-year period, will be uh, consumed by debt servicing. Chairperson of South Africa's Parliament Standing Committee on Finance, Yunus Karim, ending that report by Joseph Musia. The fourth meeting of the Presidential Task Force on a Common Currency for the West African Monetary Zone has taken place in Niamey the capital of Niger, with a firm commitment towards the acceleration of the processes leading to the use of the single currency by 2020. The meeting was attended by the members of the presidential task force, including President Nana Akufo-Addo of Ghana, President Muhammadu Buhari of Nigeria, President Alassane Ouattara of Cote d'Ivoire, and President Mahamadu Isufu of Niger. Collins Atohengbe reports. The summit in Niamey, capital of Niger Republic, was in furtherance of the proposed plan to implement the protocol of common monetary policy, which translates to a single currency for ECOWAS member nations. The desire was first muted about 30 years ago when the regional organization began steps to harmonize its economic development strategies for faster growth and integration. Though there are recorded and evident success in areas like free movement of people, goods and services, the monetary union has not seen the light of the day because of a number of issues. The Director General of the Lagos Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Muda Yusuf, says the timing is not right for such unification of currencies to materialize because of inherent regional issues. The merit or otherwise of it is not being debated. What is being put forward is the timing of the adoption of the single currency. You know, for you to have a sustainable monetary union, you have what you call the customs union, which is the high level of integration. You trade among yourselves, you reduce the internal barriers, and you have a common external tariff. That is where we are now. 
So the next step is what you call the monetary union, where you have a single currency. The Francophone countries already have a common currency. This is the CEFA. It is linked to the euro. The key issue about monetary union or single currency has to do more with the Anglophone West African countries. Beyond the monetary union, you now have the political union, where you have a common currency and the same government. If the time is not ripe after three decades of deliberations and roadmap proposals, what are the challenges which inhibits the formalization of the monetary policy? Muda Yusuf says the method requires the implementation of deliberate economic measures by member nations such that ECOWAS can evolve into making its dream a reality. For you to have a sustainable monetary union, there are certain criteria that must be met. That will proper alignment between the countries along the lines of their monetary policy, most of their uh, macroeconomic fundamentals are still very weak. For instance, one of the criteria is that you must have single-digit inflation. How many countries in the West African subjoin have a single-digit inflation? Even in Nigeria, our inflation is well over 15% as we speak. Fiscal debt to GDP ratio should not be more than 4%. Many of the countries in the West African subjoin has exceeded that by far. Yeah, external reserves must exceed at least three months of imports, and the uh, CBM financing of deficit must also not exceed 10% of uh, the total revenue. In 2013, Nigeria and Ghana were mandated to spearhead the campaign for the actualization of the policy. But then, even the Ghanaian president, Nana Akufo-Addo, says the dream is still foggy because of the realities on the ground. We are committed to introducing a common currency, the eco. But so far, there's still no sign that this will become reality. That unless we resolve the problems that we face, we cannot meaningfully embark upon the industrialization process that is critical to our ability to transform our economy. Because of the existence of these problems, it has become difficult to chart the expected path. Where there is a will, there is a way, so goes the saying. But it will appear that this is a case of the spirit willing and the body is weak. The Director General of Lagos Chamber of Commerce, Muda Yusuf, once again says, the head of the snake must go first so that people can cross the road to a safer spot for the implementation of the single monetary policy and currency. So all these critical criteria that needs to be met, most of these countries have not met those criteria. So when you have such conditions with many of the countries, it doesn't make sense and it is also not advisable for you now to jump into a monetary union or a single currency. If you do that, it will create more complications. So it is better for us to remain the way we are and gradually sort out these very important macroeconomic issues before we move forward. The summit may not have succeeded in reaching the goals of making it work as proposed, but ECOWAS has an idea of what it should be working towards. For instance, a Nigerian leader, President Muhammad Buhari, told his colleagues that ECOWAS should tread softly and not rush into a single currency without clearing the hurdles and urging that the examples of what European Union is grappling with should be something to learn from. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohengbe for Channel Africa News. Our economics update up next with Tabisolu Hoko. Good morning. 
South Africa's largest trade union, Kasatu, has expressed concern over the deaths of two mine workers who were trapped by a rockfall at Kobano Mine in Orkney in the northwest province. The body of one worker was retrieved on Monday and the second late last night. The incident brings to 11 the number of deaths in the mining sector in the last three months. Kosatu says the deterioration of health and safety regulations in the industry is deeply troubling. Kosatu's provincial secretary, Job Liso. It's not the first incident, as you'll know. There was other four workers who were trapped by the rocks in Daulikwa, the other five in Caltonville. So we we are worried because now the life of uh, workers in mining it's at stake. So we're calling for the the Minister of Mineral Resource and the mining bosses to intensify health and safety in mining. South Africa's trade union, SAMU, says it's opposed to government's plan to sell a portion of its wireline and wireless telecommunications provider, Telcom Shares, and stands against the privatization of state assets. Finance Minister Malusi Kigaba confirmed in Parliament during his medium-term budget policy statement that a government would dispose of a portion of the state's Telcom Shares to bankroll South African Airways. Kigaba said government would have the option to buy back the shares at a later stage. Etisalat Nigeria has taken out a 1.2 billion US dollar syndicated loan from a group of 13 local banks four years ago but has defaulted on repayments this year due to a currency crisis and recession in Nigeria. A banking source says that the central bank had asked lenders involved in the loan to take a 5% provision as part of their third quarter results. Net loans stood as of September uh, at uh, 4.9% from a year earlier. The Kenya Forest Service has launched 147 management plans countrywide to help communities surrounding forests to undertake commercial activities and conserve the same. KFS Chairman Peter Kinyua said the management plans to ensure communities bordering forests benefit through commercial activities like farming, beekeeping, fishing, wood harvesting, among others, as they work with KFS in promoting conservation and keeping off loggers. He said this in a speech read by his deputy Naomi Apali during the signing of Forest Management Plan between Ngong Community, Forest Association and KFS. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.88 in South Africa. It's at 10 to 8 in Botswana and at 8.95 in Zambia. 75 pence to the British pound, 84 cents to the euro. Gold $1,280, platinum $924 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $58.40 a barrel. I'm Tabisolohoko for Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
In this hour, we begin with football news. Mali's national under-17 team's bid to reach the second straight under-17 World Cup final ended in Mumbai when beaten 3-1 by Spain, who will meet England in Saturday's final. The European side led 2-0 at halftime thanks to a penalty and a slight rule finish from captain Abel Ruiz. Mali rallied, but Cheikh Dokue's fine strike was not given enough, though replays showed it had crossed the line. Moments later, Ferran Torres headed Spain further ahead before Lozana Ndeaye grabbed a late consolation. The goal was his fifth of the tournament for the African champions. Runners-up in the 2015 to eventual champions Nigeria, Mali will now play Brazil in a third-place playoff in Kolkata on Saturday. And in local football, South African Premiership side, Captain City coach Benny McCarthy and his team are hoping to bounce back to winning ways this weekend after a difficult week that saw City's loss in the final of the MTN 8, followed by two league defeats to Bloemfontein Celtic and Chippewa United. City will begin the defense of the Telkom knockout on Sunday when they travel to Pulugwane in the South Africa's Limbobo province to take on high-flying Baroka in the last 16. McCarthy says he knows it will be a difficult task. Um, obviously, it's um, it's a difficult task for for us as a team because we've not we're on the back of three disappointing results. You know, we lost in the final. That final keeps haunting us. Um, then the two league games, Bloom Celtic and Chippa. Overall, so happy, extremely happy with the with the boys because. I think if you if you look at um, you compare the stats when we when we had that incredible winning run, we weren't playing our best football. We were we worked hard for each other. Now we're really playing some great football, but yeah, the results is going against us. So I think we just need to try and change things around and find that balance where we still have that fighting spirit and that winning mentality, but playing good football as well. Cricket News, the Proteas T20 squad have challenged themselves to continue with the same dominant performances from the Tests and ODI series when they take on Bangladesh in the first T20 international in Bloemfontein tonight. The squad has a new look and a feel with a number of fresh faces who will all be hoping to make an impression on new coach Otis Gibson. JP Dumini comes in to lead the side in the absence of Faf Duplessis after last captaining the side in a 2-1 series defeat to Australia in 2014. Dumini made clear the squad's goals and objectives ahead of the first match at the Mangaung Oval, which will introduce the new installed LED lights for the first time tonight. Some of the world's top golfers took to the sky above Shanghai recently to launch the WGC HSBC Champions event this weekend. With reigning champion Hideki Matsuyama protecting the trophy, world number one Dustin Johnson, last year's runner-up Hendrik Stenson, and China's Li Haotong were suspended in mid-air above the Japanese dressed as superheroes as they bid to claim the trophy this time around. That was fun, uh, something totally different. I haven't been you know, strapped in and elevated in, into the sky before but uh, if that what it takes to be a superhero we're all for it so uh, yeah it was, a, it was a fun fun afternoon evening here on top of the peninsula in downtown Shanghai so uh, and we didn't want to let uh, let the opportunity of hitting a ball from up here uh, pass either so we, we sent one into the water. Finally former US badminton number one Shannon Paul has blamed the poor showing of African shuttlers on lack 
of funding. She further donated 230 records to school-going children and national team players in Uganda. So, I mean, I think it's, it's difficult in all countries where badminton is not one of the most popular sports. Even in America, badminton is not one of the most popular sports. So I know it's difficult to get funding to go to tournaments and that, you know, you can have very good athletes, but it takes um, some support from the, your um, community and your government, right, to help make sure that athletes such as this one right here can get funding to go to the big tournaments, right, because they don't just need the talent, they also need the ability to get the exposure internationally to the worldwide community. Um, but I think this is a nice start, right? If they have the a means to play and the equipment, and there are some very good coaches here, uh, Annette and William have uh, have been training the players here, and there there's a lot of players and coaches with have some experience here. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Taking us to the top of our folding news and another hour of Africa Rise and Shine. On the frequency 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa is Eric Waina Nina with a track title Ukweli. Matendo yako ni maobu, matamshi yako ni mata. 